So today, I'm going to send you a link. I just want to, I want to see your reaction to it. Because when I saw this, I had some feelings. <laughs> okay, let's see. What? What? What is this? Please describe what you're seeing for the audience. Uh, some sort of a, a ball that says Disney Mini Brands. And then on the inside... What? On the inside, it opens like a fortune teller sort of thing like you make in elementary school. And then it has small action figures. Is that what this is? Yeah, but they're like in packages. So like you can't even play with these toys. Small action figures in small packages, all to scale. Yeah. Like, do you want to play with products? Now we're selling products of products. Oh, so like your dolls could have a their very own mini doll. Yeah, it's insane. Oh my, I was so angry when I saw this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Is that the purpose of them? I, I don't they, know. I think they're just to collect. I think it's just for collecting. Which I mean, you do you like, I'm not a Funko Pop collecting person. Mm-mm, but either. I mean, some other people, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. But this, I mean, this has made me sad because, like, it's it's a kid's toy, and like we're like selling them commodification. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it looks like those like wonder what are they called wonder balls? Yeah, it's like that. But inside, instead of actual toys, you get boxes of toys that you can't play with. <laughs> like, it's so sad. Maybe you can. You pull them out; they're fully functional. <sighs> I don't know, but they're super tiny. Hold on, there's more mini brands. That was just the Disney one. <gasps> They're, okay, yeah. Actually, no. I think my nephew has these. <laughs> Regular ones, the non-Disney ones. It's just stuff like like Briar's ice cream and like fucking Axe body wash. Oh, but people do that. Like not maybe branded, but they have like, oh, very tiny little pots or yeah, bottles okay. of things. The little soy sauce is cute, I guess. But it just feels like we're, like, indoctrinating kids really early to brand recognition. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it's true. I mean, they get enough of it in life, so they don't really need more. Yeah. Okay, anyway. (laughs) That was my capitalist hellscape find this week. All right. Your challenge today is to keep me focused while I have, like, one of the world's most beautiful cats sitting next to me. So, good luck. All right, so I got to compete with the attention of Higgins. Mm-hmm. I think I can do it. I got a nice cuppa here, so okay. I'll be ready. Good luck. Be pepped up. Uh, today we're going to talk about the rise of the Labour Party of the UK. Cool. That's Labour with a U. Labour with a U. Yeah, my Google Docs was having some trouble <laughs> with that. Some conniptions. Yeah, it was actually like, do you want to just change it over to like? you now spell things with a U on this document? And I thought, sure, let's do that. And then I realized how many other American spellings I use of things. <laughs> yeah, I apparently use gray, like I do G-R-E-Y, and that's British. Like, I just, I learned I like that, that one too. I, it looks better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what we're learning about. The Labor Party. Well, what do you know about the Labor Party? I know that they have the NHS, and that's about it. I know they had that beard guy that we all liked, and he had a cute little cat. And um, what that guy's name was like, Jeremy. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, I had a while to think of like, who is this beard guy? What is this? <laughs> I was thinking a different time frame altogether. Nope, nope. This okay. is much more recent. I know Jeremy and his cat. <laughs> yeah, Corbin. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so that's a pretty basic um, understanding of it. <laughs> it's not even basic. It's it's below basic. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, the Labor Party is a big tent centrist to center left political party in the UK. Uh, it's one of the major parties there. The UK is essentially a two party system. They do first past the post, like uh, voting, like we do, which means like if you get fifty fifty point one percent of the vote in a in a constituency then you get that seat someone else doesn't right it's not proportional okay so like winner takes all kind of thing yeah they do have like larger more influential third parties than we do but by and large it's a it's a two-party dominant system uh the other major party there is the conservative party the tories right yeah the tories is their nickname uh and the largest third parties that they have currently are the scottish national party and the Liberal Democrats. Okay, interesting. So that's their overall scheme of things. They're not super important, but I just want to like put them in the context. Historically, which is what we're going to be getting into today, the Labor Party emerged from the union movement um, and kind of the socialist end of the spectrum. Uh, and it's sort of an alliance of different elements of the reformist left or like the democratic socialists or the social democrats, the trade unionist types. I do want to add this because we probably have some either British listeners or listeners familiar with British politics. According to our stats, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, nowadays, you know, if you have a listener who's familiar with British politics, like in the modern day, but not so much, maybe it's history. You might be wondering, okay, why are, why are we going to spend an episode of our communist podcast <laughs> oh, talking no. about these lousy centrists in the Labor Party? Yeah, I was going to ask, I'm like, a liberal Democrat party, and that's, like, can you imagine if we had a Labor Party and then a, like, that's very different from the American system. Yeah, uh, that, to clear that up, that's using the European sense of liberal Democrat. Oh, okay, okay. So uh, liberalism, meaning in that sense, classical liberalism, um, which is like uh, sort of libertarian. Gotcha. But yeah, we certainly don't have a, a labor party. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, name. God, no. But like I said, nowadays, labor is, I mean, it's it's understandable how someone would be like, hey, why are we talking about these guys? Because nowadays they're very centrist, especially the leadership portion of it it's very like watered down from what it used to be it's it's like neoliberal capitalist consensus yeah it'd be, it'd be like if we did an episode on the democratic party right uh, yeah they are you know sort of the equivalent of the british equivalent it's not quite so reactionary as ours are but yeah you know maybe on the more radical wings of it they're kind of like souped up bernie-ish style of of social democrats but the reason we're going to talk about it is because historically the Labor Party was much, much more overtly socialist. It was still reformist. It's still doing parliamentary politics, but um, it was like way more linked up with trade unions. Um, and it passed a lot of important reforms and important changes uh, in the United Kingdom. Like you mentioned, the NHS. That's a big yeah. achievement of theirs. Yeah, right. Like we don't even have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's what I want to get into. And we can kind of 
we can kind of discuss uh, different aspects of that. But I guess one lens I want us to have to focus on throughout, one theme I want to visit is how did this occur in a two-party system, in a first-past-the-post two-party system? How did the workers end up with their own in successful independent political party? Ooh. However reformist it may be, and we can get into that of like, yeah, do we yeah. even think it's effective and stuff? I think there are those on the American left, at least, who might see some value in either trying to reform your way to communism or just trying to help people in the interim. Yeah, yeah. Harm reduction. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think, what we'll be focusing on. And then we can kind of we can kind of break it down from there. Okay, cool. So like, this is a very big topic. And like, off air, we had talked about like, how do we want to divide this? So where are we like going to do a series on this? Where did we shake out on that? I think what we're going to do is have it be a topic we can revisit. This is not necessarily going to be a part one. This is just going to be the early history uh, of the Labor Party. And really, we are just covering its rise. So I'm literally going to cut off. <laughs> Once they make their t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once they for real form like their first government. Gotcha. All right, let's get into it. Who Who's the main players? All right, so the main players, when we're starting out, we're kind of in the mid-1800s is where we're going to start the game. Uh, the main parties at the time were the Conservative Party, still, uh, and the Liberal Party. The Conservatives were more, you know, they were the Conservative Party. <laughs> they were jerks. Um, and the Liberals were a little more liberal. Uh, both were... Slightly nicer jerks. Yeah, both were pro-capitalist. That's a good point to make. Yeah. Neither one was affiliated with like any movement in terms of like leftist movements or trade unions, workers, anything. All right. They're just kind of doing their own thing. Let's give the people some rights, please. Yeah. Some and crumbs. the conservatives were like, we want fewer rights for people. <laughs> the liberals were like, we want a little more rights for people. It's, it's just very oversimplified. Crazy. That's not a great divide between the two yeah there were different interests at play but they're there neither one are the focus of our story uh so in this situation most working class people supported the liberal party uh mainly because they had as part of their campaign and they kind of continue to do this is uh they were trying to extend the franchise so extend voting to more people hey what time period are we in so we're in the mid 1800s okay did you already say that and i just forgot yeah <laughs> gotta love me <laughs> don't sign up to be a teacher unless you want to repeat yourself <laughs> oh i thought you were just telling me because i have a terrible memory like okay no that's fine uh, that'll help you forget what they do to you <laughs> <laughs> you have to memento yourself every day yeah oh. they say quarterbacks and teachers have short memories so they were kind of like you know in favor of expanding the franchise to more people uh, so that kind of, you know, endeared them to more people. So when you say franchise, you mean like more uh, social services kind of stuff or? More voting. Oh, more voting. God damn it. You said that too. Yep. <laughs> I'm so sorry, listeners. I have a very cute cat next to me. I don't think you understand how cute he is. <laughs> this job is really proving quite difficult. I didn't think Higgins was going to be such a competition. but <sighs> He's beautiful. Okay. All right. I'm moving. I'm turning away from him. <laughs> Tell me, I'm engrossed now. All right. So workers kind of recognize, right, that even though these guys have, you know, expanded voting rights or whatever, and sometimes, especially later, they'll start doing a little more sort of redistributive things like 
welfare and stuff, workers kind of figure out this is not great because the liberals are not, they're not working class. Um, they're a bourgeois party and you cannot like keep relying on <laughs> the bosses, you know, a faction of the bosses to decide to be nice to you, right? To elect nice enough leaders to give you generous scraps. And if your thing is expanding voting rights and then you get to the polls and you're like, this is who I have to vote for. Like, oh, Kyle had to like drag me to vote the other day. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody dragged me, so I didn't go. Oh, yeah. good for you. <laughs> well, I'll I'll answer any hate mail. It's That's fine. fine. I, I mean, I do partially feel guilty about it. I don't know. That's the, I, uh, I, that's the main reason I did it was that I don't want to get shit from people being like, well, you don't get to complain then. Well, that's stupid. false. It's who it's was it? There was, there was some African leader who said, you know, America is a one party state, but with typical bourgeois American decadence, they have two. They have two, <laughs> two parties brands. in it. Yeah. Two brands of it. Oh, and they come in a beautiful little ball. Yeah, Tweedledee, what was it, a high papa low-rum and low papa high-rum? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, Huey. All right, so that's the scene we're in. Uh, and in 1869, you have the introduction of the Labor Representation League. Okay, that sounds cool. It was founded in 1869 um, with Irish socialist, union activist, and cooperative movement leader Lloyd Jones mm. as its first secretary. I mean, those are very cool things to put on a resume. Yeah. yeah it I mean, would not get you hired anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay. It's a, it's a good Twitter bio. Yes. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> the Labor Representation League aimed to register working class people as voters and to get workers elected to parliament. It wasn't a real like political party. It's a league, not a party. It was more of like a support group. So uh, members of the league would pay a one shilling annual fee and that would fund that would be their fundraiser basically and they would use that to like endorse and support various candidates working class people cool so in 1874 they endorsed 15 workers for parliament uh, some of them also got like the endorsement or they ran as like the liberal party like with them two out of the 15 ended up winning their elections nice where they ran against liberal candidates at the same time as running against conservatives, they usually split the vaguely progressive side of it. And so the conservatives ended up winning and kind of spoiled it, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure I can guess who got that part of the, the blame. <laughs> right. It always, <laughs> always falls on us. Oh, we're so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, tactic, this starts something called lib labism. Mm, what is that? Or Lib Lab, like alliances, uh, liberal and labor. Oh, okay. So yeah, it could yeah. be Lib Lab, but less out of two labial, mm. so I didn't want to go with that. <laughs> in Spanish, the word for lips is labios, and it's the grossest word <laughs> in existence. I just, I'm sorry. Can't do it. <laughs> so the Lib Lab alliance thing uh, is where the Labor Representation League and then later you'll have different groups take their place. Different worker-affiliated groups or parties uh, would endorse or run candidates from within the liberal party. So they'd be like, we like you. We think you're cool. You're working class. You're going to support our things. Go run in the liberal party. Okay, cool. So like they're, they kind of fold them in. Yeah, or they try to. They try to. Yeah, let's see how that works. I bet it doesn't. 
At the time, it was possible because the Liberal Party was pretty lax and had different factions. Mm, okay. Big tent. Yeah, it was very big tent. It's, it was seen as a good idea to avoid, like we said, splitting the progressive vote and from the labor point of view to make use of the mm-hmm. greater popularity of the Liberal Party. And like the infrastructure and stuff like, yeah. you know, they had offices and shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea was, among some of these guys anyway, that like eventually the labor movement would be strong enough to form its own actual separate political party. But not yet. Right now we're going to use this to grow. I like that idea. I mean, I, I, I see I saw this great chart online the other day that was like showing how just basically the Democrats fuck us over every time it's like grassroots movement. And then you start co-opting that language by taking the most moderate people from that movement and then you water down the message and then nothing gets done and then grassroots movement again (laughs) (laughs) so there's definitely a danger in being like folded into a larger party because then you can just get watered down to the point of nothing exactly not everyone on the left was on board with this i'm sure the criticisms were kind of along those lines saying basically you guys are working with a capitalist party They're not your friends. (laughs) They're going to fuck you over. Yeah. And some of these guys wanted a cleaner break. They wanted more independence right away. One of these groups we mentioned before in the William Morris episode. Oh. The Social Democratic Federation. (gasps) Yeah, those guys with their cool magazine. Yeah. So this one's the one that was founded in 1881 by Henry Heinemann. Yeah, I remember him. Um, It was Britain's first organized social political party. ah, Fuck, I got to re-say that. I said social. Like they just hung out. <laughs> they just in smoking jackets and brandy. <laughs> the other, what? So the other political parties never met. They were anti-social. <laughs> Can we um, keep this in? Uh, yeah, why not? It was Britain's first organized socialist political party. <laughs> okay, there we go. That sounds better. So yeah, William Morris was a member of this uh George Lansbury, Irish Republican hero, James Connolly. I love him. And Eleanor Marks. Oh, I love her. (laughs) So many famous folks. So they had a cool crew. um, But as far as the the Lib Lab situation, they didn't like it. They opposed it. They wanted to have like a fully independent working class party. Yeah, I think I remember reading about that. Yeah. The problem was that most workers still identified with the liberals. Like, that's just who they thought was cool. And then all of a sudden you have random people show up and be like, no, they suck. (laughs) And this is what the SDF did. They went out there and said, the liberals suck. Never vote for them. We're super cool. And workers were just like, actually, we don't like you now if you're going to talk trash about the guys who gave us the vote. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So it kind of isolated them. They remain mostly middle class, mostly intellectual, and kind of cut off from the workers they wanted to represent. And like we mentioned in that episode, they had a lot of splits. I don't know. I think it's interesting to mention them because kind of yeah, if you want to try to draw parallels to the American situation, maybe we because we have a lot of vaguely, you know, sort of leftist parties. Well, and very leftist parties, but they're not very big. They are electorally separate from the liberals from the democratic party but they're also like they don't enjoy mass support either yeah it's just so scattered yeah not to say the democratic party enjoys mass support most americans don't vote but 
<laughs> yeah, mass is a relative term here. But yeah, among the voting population, we should say, you know, mm-hmm. most of those guys are voting Democratic or Republican, not communist. Yep. So anyway, you also had a group called the Fabian Society. I've heard of them too, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were founded in 1884, and these guys were super reformists. So they wanted to gradually build democratic socialism, slow reform over time, no revolution. And so they liked this Lib Lab coalition. They thought it was cool, but they didn't really want to break away and form a new party. What they wanted to do was gradually realign the liberal party and turn it into a mm. moderate socialist party. And that's like what happened. Spoilers, right? No. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, never mind. Yeah, the Liberal Party no longer exists. Well, I thought it was like a like a, a takeover oh, from the inside situation. That's kind of cool, but no, that's not how it goes down. Okay. <laughs> I was just guessing. <laughs> Christine's theories. <laughs> uh, Christine Zero, History One. If that plot, though, if that plot line sounds familiar, to me it reminds me of the the camp of, you know, sock Dems or whoever on our side that's like what we need to do is run local candidates and take over the democratic party and push them left because <laughs> that's worked so well yeah it's it's ever worked <laughs> <laughs> the fabian society is still around as a socialist society which is like a it's a there are several of these that are they're like membership clubs slash think tanks yeah like a john reed club kind of situation yeah, and they're directly associated with the Labor Party nowadays. Oh, okay. But if the left had taken their approach to the whole electoral politics, convert them from the inside, they would probably be associated with the old Liberal Party, and Labor would never have really gotten its own thing. Okay, interesting. But maybe not. I mean, we can't guess for sure 100% what would happen. It's true. <laughs> but anyway... Lib Lab approach, it's not supposed to last forever. The idea, remember, was to use the Liberal Party. Uh, a gross way to think of it, but it's kind of like <laughs> as an incubator, like an egg. Yeah, we're right? parasiting. Yeah, like you're, you're going to feed the nascent independent worker socialist party until it's ready to emerge. Hell yeah. Well, to do that, I mean, you do need that embryo, though. You need mm-hmm. to form a party. <laughs> so let's go. Uh, one... Early example of this is in 1888. Uh, they founded the Scottish Labour Party. Cunningham Graham and Keir Hardy were the founders. Cunningham Graham was the first socialist member of parliament in the UK altogether. And the reason this was founded was mostly because the Liberal Party started being more picky about who they were letting do the Lib Lab thing. And so they, it's chosen, there weren't primaries, it was chosen by like the local party machines. So they pick the most moderate candidates and water them down. <laughs> a lot of times, yeah. And in this case, <laughs> uh, Keir Hardy wanted to run as a liberal with their endorsement. And they're like, no, man, we got somebody else. You know, he's cool. He looks better in a lanyard than you. So <laughs> so they went with him and Keir Hardy was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to start my own party. Uh, side note for the other guy, Cunningham Graham. First of all, cool name. I like it. Cool name. Sounds like a great breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. I think of it as a good, like, um, a menu item on a brunch at a fancy brunch place. Also, it would be a great uh, Instagram handle. Or a brunch cocktail. Or a brunch cocktail. There's, there's a lot of branding opportunities here. <laughs> uh, 
he was elected in 1886 as a liberal with the backing of socialists. His platform was to abolish the House of Lords. <laughs> it's a good start. I love the start of this. That's our equivalent of like the Senate, but even yeah. more aristocratic somehow. Yeah. I mean, they have a big scepter they wield around, right? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I saw it once in a movie and I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Uh, he was for universal suffrage. He wanted to nationalize land, um, major industries, mines. Uh, he wanted to give free school meals, uh, disestablish the Church of England, uh, give Scotland home rule, and implement the eight-hour workday. I'm starting to see why the Liberal Party said no to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he. Uh, he uh, another, another cool thing I think you would like about him, he got suspended from Parliament for a disrespectful reference to the House of Lords. <laughs> what did he call him? He's like, these fuckheads. Uh, I don't know, but he also was the first MP to be suspended for swearing. Oh, fuck yeah. This is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, he was kind of lower tier on the swearing. He, his, his swear word was damn. <laughs> oh my God. That's lame. Okay. But it was still cool, I guess, for a member of parliament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really out there. That's kind of you know the the start of this. Okay, we're gonna do a different, you know, a different workers style party here. Uh, Keir Hardy was the other guy. For his part, uh, he continued to basically identify with the Liberal Party. Like he's like, I'm gonna vote with them mostly in Congress, but he was kind of telling people, I'm a cooler liberal. Like, he's like the squad. Yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'm what they really should be, you know. Um, and he actually told the Liberal Party, if you guys you know, know what's good for you as a party, you should adopt the Socialist Labor Party program. Mm, you guys gotta get with it. Yeah. Uh, he also wore a Sherlock Holmes hat in Parliament, <laughs> like a deer stalker hat. Why? Because he wanted to be more like working with class. The people? Well, yeah, because in Parliament, the dress code basically was wear a top hat. Oh, okay, okay. So he's like, man, what's up? I'm just chilling. Yeah. He wore a t-shirt to the office. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so they were an interesting pair, but it's interesting, I think, because you're starting to see the workers saying, we got to do something on our own, right? Uh, and meanwhile, you have a major labor strike in 1890. Oh, hell yeah. What we got? Uh, this is at Manningham Mills in Bradford, and it's just, it's a massive, it's a strike, you know, working conditions, pay and all that. And it's nothing like a good conflict to learn who your friends really are. <laughs> where those liberals come down right yeah then liberals no friends at all here no help to the unions <laughs> that they're claiming to support fake friends yeah and so the independent you know party sort of movement the the unions who were like we want to do that right they're like clearly these guys are no fucking help like we need to form our own party so one thing they form here in 1891 is the bradford labor union which sounds like it's just a like a like a workers union, but this was actually like a uh, political group. And so what they did was they ran in local elections. Uh, they would run like workers um, from their unions uh, in these local elections. Uh, they got some people elected to their councils and to the school board. So they had some local success and other cities joined in in this movement and soon, like, the national overall trade unions who are, have been talking about what if we got a party, they start to catch on that, like, hey, it looks like there is more support for an independent labor party at the national level. That's really exciting. I love how it all came out of, like, 
a labor strike. Like, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, this is when, in 1893, they found the Independent Labor Party. Uh, the first chairman of the Independent Labor Party was Keir Hardy from that Scottish Labor Party. Uh, he basically brings over most of that party with him. It's founded as a result of that kind of souring relationship between the Liberal Party and the Union activists. Mm-hmm. They're getting shut out of things, and they're just like, uh-uh. Yeah, they're like, we want to do more than this. So it's kind of a mishmash of the different groups we've talked about so far. The Fabians are there. The Scottish Labor Party are there. The SDF are there. And lots of local union leaders. Uh, they all get together. They form this party, Independent Labor Party, ILP. Imagine the pettiness. Imagine the drunk conversations between all these groups of people. That'd be a fun party. <laughs> It'd be very <laughs> It'd be social, you would say. <laughs> very social. Initially, they proposed the name Socialist Labor Party, but they kind of worried that was too scary for people. Oh, ain't that the way? Yeah, you can already see there's a little bit of a little bit of excess moderation going here, but. <laughs> I get it. It evolves into something useful. So, I mean, maybe they had a point, you know, maybe they would have died out earlier if they would have been like, we're the people's communist socialist party. (laughs) I mean, I get it. We, we did throw around a few names for this podcast before we settled on it, but then we just decided to lean into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they settle for a more moderate name, but they still said the party's goal was to secure the collective and communal ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange. That's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> we should all have that goal. For sure. And we do. We're, we try to be, you know, big tent on the left. But I think to be on the real left, you do have to, you have to be for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They called for free, unsectarian education. So like, not religious is what that means. The right to universities, the provision of medical treatment and school feeding programs for children, housing reform, unemployment aid, uh, minimum wage, welfare programs, the abolition of child labor, eight-hour workday. That was their platform. Yeah. I mean, you have to think of the time period here. Like, why do you think... We have those things mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or don't have those things in terms of child labor. Like, Yeah, that's yeah. true. Because it comes across as like, <laughs> you want me to pat you on the back for being against child labor? But like, <laughs> yes, that's how that's taken for granted now. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a low bar, but at the time it was not. Yeah. Um, so overall, like we said, super big tent. Like they are trying to meld together the left at all. They really don't want to piss anyone off, so they're, like, backing off of socialist overtly, but they're kind of, like, still talking, you know, still doing it, basically. <laughs> Secretly. Yeah. And they're really accommodating for anyone, as long as they're pro-worker, pro-union. I mean, there's some some weird kind of variants in this. <laughs> uh, more religious side, more Marxist side. Like, there's, it's all over the place. But they're working together. They're trying to make it, make it happen. I'm into this. Okay. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, it starts early. Uh, in their first big election in 1895, <laughs> they uh, go out there and they're like, we're cool. We're not liberals. We're the real workers party. You vote for us. They run 28 candidates and they all lose. Okay. I was hoping for at least one to scrape by. No, not even Keir Hardy, the party leader. They all lose. Oh, that sucks. Keir Hardy 
should when he comes into her room say, I'm Keir Hardy and I'm ready to I'm party. Here to party. Yeah. I just, because <laughs> Keir Hardy party leader, that made me think of it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're coming up with some great slogans for these dead yeah, men. We're, we're on fire. <laughs> so they flop. It kind of sends them soul searching. And they decide, okay, maybe we came out of the gate a little strong. We need to be less antagonistic toward the liberals. Apparently people still like them. So they kind of, they end up having to play second fiddle, limit themselves to kind of a weak junior partner role with the liberal party, kind of like what had been happening before, except for now they have their own group. You know, they're not just like a progressive wing. Yeah. They still aren't strong enough to break through, but they're going to kind of work with them. Okay, that's a little, I would say, DSA-ish is my comparison. That's a good, yeah, that's a good comparison. It's rough. It's a rough approximation, y'all. Right, but all of these that we're drawing to the American perspective, it's a rough thing. It just kind of helps us think through this. It's probably frustrating for British listeners. They're like, no, it's yeah, not like that at all. Like, they're throwing their tea at their <laughs> headphones. I don't know. That's. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's I very stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... It's you can make fun of British people because we know they're better than us. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the French. You can make fun of the French. Yeah. Well, I guess in that way, Americans can make fun of most people. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> we suck. All right. Uh, anyway, during this time, you're talking a p- time period of like 1889 and 1918. Broadly speaking, there's increasing union membership, increasing number of unions themselves and increasing number of strikes. The ruling classes in both the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party fight back against this. There are anti-union laws. Yeah, they they hate this. (laughs) They're buying locks for their mansions. (laughs) (laughs) They're increasing security. They're not feeling good. And their sort of their actions against unions pushes those unions to realize like what they had realized before, but now kind of like, you know, brings it to the fore. Crystallized. Yeah. Hey. We cannot walk with the liberals forever. We can't travel with them all the time because at the national level, we can't rely on capitalists to protect us from capitalists. Nope. <laughs> it's not going to work. That's yeah. That's just oxymoronic. So in 1899, a guy named Thomas R. Steeles, a mm. member of the Amalgamated Society of Railway Servants, which was a, a railroad workers union. Okay. Does he steal your heart? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he does. So by doing this, he proposes that the Trade Union Congress, which was like the largest federation of trade unions in the UK, uh, he proposed that they call a special conference to bring together all the left-wing organizations and create one group to start sponsoring candidates for parliament. All right. Kind of an international kind of feel. Yeah, but a national kind of, because it's only in... But a national, international. (laughs) So not that at all. Yeah, intranational. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> and so the motion passed. The meeting is held. It's in London on February 26th and 27th, 1900. That'd be a fun time. Yeah. You got all the lefties over there hanging out. 129 delegates. So many pamphlets. It's like a Comic-Con, <laughs> but instead of zines, it's just like, read my pamphlet. Yeah. Nowadays, everyone would be <laughs> like, so this is my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so 129 delegates representing trade union leaders, the Independent Labor Party, the Fabians, and the Social Democratic Federation, uh, they all meet. 
All the homies are there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the <laughs> Justice League <laughs> or the League of Doom, depending on your perspective. I mean, they have a cooler hideout. It's like a skull in a swamp. That's fucking sick. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'd way rather hang out there. So they uh, are all meeting, and the the SDF guys they say, "Duh, it's obvious what we need to do." We need to create a party organization separate from the capitalist parties based on a recognition of the class war. Yeah. Instead, they say, whoa, that's a lot. I don't want to scare anyone. Did they take out the second half of that, the class war part? They take out some of that. Yeah. So the official wording of this, they go with Keir Hardy's proposal, uh, which says that they're going to establish a distinct labor group in parliament who shall have their own whips and agree upon their policy. When we say whips, we mean like whipping the votes. Yeah. Not everyone knows the political terms. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't like, yeah, duh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't want you to think also that I thought you didn't know. I figured you knew, but. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and agree upon their policy, which must embrace a readiness to cooperate with any party, which for the time being may be engaged in promoting legislation in the direct interest of labor and be equally ready to associate themselves with any party in opposing measures having an opposite tendency. God, that was a long way (laughs) to get there, huh? Right, but basically they say, we're our (laughs) own guys, we're our own crew, and we are going to support, and we're willing to work with anybody who's supporting pro-labor stuff. And we'll antagonize anyone who's against labor stuff. Yeah, exactly, and we'll work with anybody to oppose anti-labor stuff. They could have used an editor, but it's fine. <laughs> they were just trying to fit in with all the other parliamentary types. Honestly, I realized today that like the way to sound quote unquote smart in business jargon is just to make your sentences as long and meaningless as possible. Like that's it. Yeah. So, well, the, the technique there is you get most people to tune out and then they have mm-hmm. a social responsibility to seem like they heard what you said. So they're going to go <laughs> along with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you can seem smart because everyone goes along with your ideas. Yeah, exactly. You bore people. You bully them into boredom. Okay, yeah, but we got to stop this. We can't be too pro, you know, business tips poli- uh, podcast. <laughs> no, here. don't do this. <laughs> no, that, I'm saying I don't like that they made their their mm, uh, yeah, their yeah. mission statement so boring. <laughs> it was, yeah. But, ba- you know, we boiled it down to basically we're going to be pro-worker no matter what. Yes. All right. So they form a committee called the Labor Representation Committee. And their goal is to coordinate attempts by the left to get members of parliament elected that represent the workers. Uh, The LRC had two members from the Independent Labor Party, uh, two members from the SDF, one Fabian member, and seven trade union members. So it was like a a balanced little mix. Yeah. And their early days were really rough. Uh, They came late to the party for the upcoming election in October 1900. (laughs) So they end up spending a total of 33 pounds in the election altogether. That's like not much. Yeah. I mean, even with inflation, that's really like low. You should have been spending more for a national campaign, but they like got started late. Uh, They sponsored 15 candidates and they got two of them elected. Okay. Better hit rate than last time. (laughs) True. (laughs) Than zero. Yes. So could be worse. Okay. (laughs) But then they're helped by national events. Uh, In 1901, there's something called the Taft Vale case. Okay, what's that? uh, Which is where the conservative government rules that unions had to pay their employers for damages, including just like lost money 
uh, from strikes. Fuck that noise. <laughs> so, yeah, basically strikes became illegal. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, exactly. That's what workers thought. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like, this is bullshit. Uh, we're going to support that new labor party more. Uh, so this kind of helps them build up their organization, build up their numbers, raise more funds, all that. Um, but they're still, I mean, we don't want to pump them up too much right now. At, th- at this point, the Labor Representation Committee is still like the JV squad compared to the <laughs> Liberal Party. So what they do when they run candidates is end up kind of being a spoiler. Uh, they split the progressive vote again, kind of how they were doing before with the Liberals. And so the conservatives would win more seats. Yeah, that's the risk you're on, but whatever. God, I feel like you have to do it, though. Yes, oh, you're right. They have to do it because what this does is it brings the liberals to the table and they say, fuck, we're getting locked out of the government. You know, like we can't win anymore because you assholes are taking our seats. And if you do that from a strong enough position, then the liberals end up making a secret deal. Their leadership meets with the LRC leadership in 1903 and they form an electoral pact secretly. They say in the districts where we're all three going to run against each other, Either you or us are going to run somebody, but not both. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they let each other run uncontested against the conservatives in lots of constituencies. Um, In the next general election in 1906, this gets the Labor Representation Committee 29 members of parliament. Hachi machi, that's way more. Yeah. And it helps the liberals get in, get back in power. They get a lot more seats, too. Interesting. So I wonder how that like shook out like in those talks. Like I don't like how like, you know, obviously backdoor wheeling and sure. dealing that is, but like I'm curious from like a just a tactical perspective. Like do you think it was like, well, we looked at the numbers and we think you've got this one, so we'll give it to you? Like I wonder who had the power in those conversations. Like that's so interesting to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Like how to decide which one to run. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, let's rock, paper, scissors for this. <laughs> well, I think they had to, I think they were aiming to basically play it. What was the most advantageous for the both of them? Because the understanding is when you come out the other side of that, if the liberals don't have an outright majority, which I guess they could end up with one, then the obvious partner is the people they worked on the election with, which are, are labor. So any more seats that labor gets is just going to help. For most things with them. Yeah. It's going to help yeah. the liberals because they're mostly going to be in an alliance. Yeah, that's so weird. Okay. Yeah, we're not used to this as Americans. No. <laughs> but okay, so they do that. And this is a huge deal because for the first time, it wasn't just the Lib Lab thing overall like we had before. It was separate. Yeah, this is a, a, separate, a separate thing. So you're not running people from within the liberal party or you're not trying to convince the liberals to run working class candidates, right? Now you have these literal, they're, they're labor representation committee party members. It's not really a party, but they're, they're separate and they, they will team up with the liberals, but they're a different thing. In this election, there end up being more of those guys, more LRC MPs than there are those people who are running as liberals that have just the support of unions, the Lib Lab guys. So that's kind of dying out. Yeah, that it's, it's a crossover there. Okay. Because of this big time success, right? This is way more than they thought was going to have. This is Hell perfect. Yeah. Uh, the LRC says, cool. We were the committee. Neat. We're growing up now. <laughs> Our name's now officially the Labor Party. 
I do want to talk about the name because I, I think it's pretty good. What? Just calling it the Labor Party because it directly connects what we're talking about. Like, I think we've talked a lot about how the term socialist and communist, like it gets very scary to people, but labor doesn't water it down to the point of being nothing. I mean, now it does, but (laughs) but at the time (laughs) it wasn't, it was like, we're for workers. And like, you can just say that and like, everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah, that's true. I think nowadays we would have more conversations about like, and we've talked about this too. You, you don't have to work to have value and things like that. You know, you'd run yeah, into, yeah. I don't know, those sorts of critiques maybe. Or or like being so focused on that that you like are not as intersectional as you could be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that in practice and carrying it out, there's any, that that, that really would would happen you know it wouldn't we wouldn't have to be like a workerist sort of thing <laughs> we're from labor but only men like no right. we wouldn't yeah. do that yeah yeah but you know you can write that into your charter if you really want to you could be like we're the intersectional labor party like okay great we're on board it's not bad yeah <laughs> all right pitching ideas here y'all <laughs> well we've been on branding the whole time so <laughs> can't help myself so they become called the Labor Party. Keir Hardy is elected as chairman of, uh, of the Parliamentary Labor Party, which this is just a thing in British politics. It'd be like saying Congressional Democrats. Okay, okay. Or like, you know, Parliamentary Labor. It's, it's them, but in Parliament versus the whole party, like across the country. It's not a big distinction. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Forgotten. It's out of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the next year, in by-elections and stuff, they had increased their MP count to 42. Okay, stupid American question. What does MP stand for? Member of Parliament. Oh, okay, got it. (laughs) They become the Labor Party. They've grown out of their youth. They've gone from being called Billy to Bill. They've evolved. To William, maybe, yeah. (laughs) Now they've won for themselves a significant place at the table in Parliament. It's not a, a, like, you know top tier you're going to form an alliance with me sort of thing but they're there yeah can i ask another dumb american question yeah how many mps do they have in this thing like what's their percentage looking like they had a different number of seats in different elections so in the 1906 election the one where they first got 29 mps there were 670 total oh that's a lot yeah it was there for a little while, but then later they have 707. Then they're back down to 615. What's going oh, on? Oh, I know what Britain? happened there. 1918 with 707 was the last time they had the whole of Ireland participating too. Oh, yeah. Connecting stories. 1922, they're down to 615. Because <laughs> Ireland left. Yeah. That's and funny. And then they're at 615 for a while. Okay. Okay. So okay. there you go. So a pretty dang small percentage. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to okay. overblow with there, but the, I mean, you're, when you're starting from zero, this is a big percentage <laughs> increases, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. So they're increasing their count. They've got a significant, you know, they have parliamentary representation, which is a big deal. It's still nowhere near taking power for sure, but not even really being in a coalition government. They're just kind of there right now. You're there though. You're on the court. <laughs> you're <Yeah>. playing. <laughs> in getting there. They helped the Liberal Party get a majority, uh, which leads to some good things. It leads to uh, what are called the Liberal Welfare Reforms. That doesn't sound good to our American ears, but those are good. (laughs) 
<laughs> at the time, that was very cool. Yeah, because when we think welfare reform, we're thinking Clinton's welfare reform, which was like, let's take welfare away. Let's obsessively means test everything. <laughs> Make it completely unavailable to anyone that doesn't want to jump through 100 hoops. Yes, exactly. Almost like we're trying to keep you away from it altogether. <laughs> When they are talking about welfare reforms, they're talking about the introduction of welfare, uh, welfare in the first place. Yeah. It's the beginning of the modern welfare state in the UK. Okay. So I guess they had had some of it before, but it, yes. I think it's funny that it's reforms and not just like starting it. Uh, yeah. Before that, they had the poor laws and... Yeah. Like the poor house and working house kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is trying... What this tried to do was move that away from being a stigmatized thing and being toward a general social insurance sort of thing. Cool. The liberals are the ones doing that. They're the ones spearheading this. Before this, they had been sort of somewhat progressive, but they had been basically laissez-faire in terms of the economy. So it's an interesting shift from them. But one big reason is because of all those strikes. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we got to give them something or they're going to kill us. Yeah. They're nothing like a little fear of your head <laughs> on a spike. Oh, gets yeah. you going, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, another was the Labour Party itself. Initially, they were trying to just stop losing votes to them, you know, competing for popularity. And then after the 1910 general election, the Labour Party ends up holding the balance of power. Uh, the liberals don't quite have the majority they need, so they have to rely on Labour and I think the Irish Parliamentary Party to keep it afloat, to, to have a government. So they have to do some things that Labour wants to do. I love this. I love bullying liberals. <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of easier to bully. They're weenies. That's they're really the only weenies. argument I can buy for like voting for them, you know, is hey, they're an easier person to bully. Like <laughs> they are. They are. These reforms are uh, massive. We can't get into all of them. There's just too much going on. But for one, that whole like unions have to pay for strikes thing, they reverse that. They tax the wealthy uh, to pay for various social welfare programs. Uh, they give free school meals to children. Uh, they pass a National Insurance Act, which is like um, like a form of health insurance. Mm, okay. uh, it's only covering workers, and it doesn't cover everything. It's not like the NHS later, but it's like the start of it. Uh, it established old age pensions, workers' compensation, created the dole system, so like the welfare system. Lots of stuff. And it's, again, the foundations. Labor is really going to expand on this once they're in charge. These are just kind of like the initial, the initial, what they call, they call this um, new liberalism. Well, I think that's funny because like, even in that list, like there's things that either we don't have or people are trying to take away or make, again, ridiculously hard to access. So it's like, guys, this was like the 19, like 10s. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, and this was like the capitalist party was <laughs> saying like, hey, we should do this because we believe uh, in independent, in, you know, in individual rights and those have to be in the context of having enough to like exist is basically what their argument was. And, and so in a way, like they did succeed in pulling them to the left, like they made it so they have to fucking work with them. Yeah, but they didn't do it by c giving them the right speech, right? You know, or... <laughs> <laughs> or joining their party and being very good members and, mm -hmm. you know, shilling for them whenever. Being a good little boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, that's it's an interesting difference in, difference in approach, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 
they're in that situation. They're the junior, junior, junior partners. <laughs> but they're there and they helped it happen. And like I said, they eventually hold the balance of power. But what they do is kind of keep going along uh, with this situation for a while, mostly voting with the liberals, you know, where, like they said, where they can, where it supports the workers and then, you know, opposing whatever doesn't. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what are there examples of them, like, trying to fuck them over? Or are they just, like, they need them so badly that they kind of can't afford to? Uh, I didn't run into any significant ones, like, okay. for our story. I'm sure there are some boats that, it, you know, they didn't yeah, shake yeah. out or whatever. Some drama always happens, but... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have drama. Um, but, yeah, they're their own mass party now. And even while this is going on, they have leftists, you know, criticizing them as sellouts and, um, and everything. I, it was... <laughs> Lenin called them, wrote about these guys, you know, wrote about the Labor Party. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. He called them a thoroughly bourgeois party of opportunists. Uh, <laughs> he called them traitors of socialism and the workers cause. <laughs> oh, Lenny. Which I love him, man. I love Lenin. I love him. He's a great, you know, great communist revolutionary, but. He's a hater through and through. Yeah, he he does love to throw shade. So. He really does. <laughs> I'm rewatching the Americans, and like at one point, Nina gets that little Lenin pin. I'm like, I I want to wear that. <laughs> unironically, <laughs> you can pick those up pretty cheap. I think at various if you you know I don't know estate sales or something, but I've seen them online. Like people say, oh, I had I found this at a flea market or something. A little young. What was it called? It was like a young young like pioneers like, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Comsomol. It's it's communist Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's where the Labor Party finds itself. Here's where we're going to get to the glow up. Mm, okay. I mean, they've already had quite a transformation. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, as it so often happens on this show, <laughs> uh, World War One is going to play a big role. <laughs> this fucking guy always showing up and ruining the party. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a big deal here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Several key effects on the political scene in the UK. One big deal here is the Labour Party. Uh, The Labour Party does not split. I'm shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Every other party is like, they can't get it together on World War One. Yeah. All the other. Yeah. Like you said, in Europe, they're all boom, 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 boom. Split, split, split. Can't do it. In the States. The international. Yeah. It it doesn't. It doesn't work. Right. So they Mm -hmm. split. Everybody. And it and it does make sense because imperialism is bad. Imperialist wars are bad. But some people are going to get wooed over by, you know, okay, here comes the stars and stripes. Yeah. Yep. All that. I mean, we see it now a lot. Oh, right now is a lot. <laughs> tons and tons of patriotism <laughs> getting everybody to say, come on, <sighs> let's do war, you know? Oh, yeah. It's getting nasty out there. Well... That was the same there, too. But here's what happens. The Labor Party, when the time comes, when war hysteria reaches a fever pitch, the party supports the war. Uh, the party votes for 100 million pounds of war credits. For his credit, the leader of the Labor Party since 1911, a guy named Ramsey McDonald, he was steadfastly anti-war. And when this happens, when the party's just like, nah, dude, we're going to do war. He's like, OK, well, I'm going to resign Wow. Uh, from leadership. Okay. Props. Yeah, so he steps down in favor of a guy named Arthur Henderson. Uh, and so the Labor Party goes on to steadfastly support the war effort throughout. Interesting. I mean, I hate to say it because, again, fuck imperialism. Yeah. That might have been a good strategy. Oh, electorally, it's great. 
it brings them into the wartime government, like the cabinet, basically. They kind of get some experience there, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, electorally, it's super successful. You know, it was a bad war to Morally. support, so we don't like it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's probably a key ingredient in their later success. Interestingly, though this does hurt McDonald in the short term, people talk a lot of shit about him. You know, oh, what a coward, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, once the war becomes less popular and everyone's like, that was, you know, <laughs> stupid as imperialist and, and we just lost a bunch of people. It makes him more likable uh, and kind of because he does come back to party leadership makes the party kind of more electable. They get the best of both worlds, basically. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, they're really playing both sides. Yeah, it, it turns out great for them there because during the war, the Labor Party uses those positions in government uh, to do things for the regular people, which is an interesting time to do it, I guess. Not usually what happens. It's usually like, well, we're in a war, so you don't get to have things. So it's sort of like in it has to do with that. Uh, one big deal is that since um, prices are going up on lots of things because people are trying to profiteer off the war, uh, the landlords try to get in on it too. Why don't we just jack up rents, <laughs> oh. right? Oh, of course. So the Labor Party is able to get uh, rent controls put into place to stop that. Also, price controls. Like I said, price gouging is trying to happen. So they're like, well, well, let's hold on. Like basic goods and stuff, people should have those. Introduce rationing, which is not something we usually support, but it does <laughs> keep it does keep the playing field level during a crisis like that. All the rich people can't go get all the, the meats and everyone else is left out, you know? So basically they like, this is their time to shine. They're being associated with good things. Right. Yeah. They're, they're introducing fairness at a time when it could very easily run out of control and, and run people over. They're, they're basically trying to make sure people don't get screwed over in addition to being sent off to kill and to die, which that part they support, but yeah, the yeah. whole also getting screwed over economically, they they don't support that. Yeah, that again, interesting strategy here. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if we've seen a lot of examples of of wartime socialist parties, you know, doing the dang thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we've we've looked at the Bolsheviks who were doing the complete opposite take at this point. <laughs> they were like, we don't want to be in power. Mm -hmm. We hate you guys you know all that <laughs> yeah, um, yeah but i mean we haven't taken a look yet because this is what happens to several uh political parties you know, like we said in europe where they have mostly the pro-war factions you know doing things so this is our first look at, at what that looks like it has the effect of basically making them look competent and growing their numbers growing their popularity absolutely they're like those are the guys that did stuff for me <laughs> yeah and on the other side, you have the Liberal Party. What were they doing? They were splitting. Oh, what happened? <laughs> did someone, was it racism or something? Did, did someone discover no, racism? No, they were all doing racism. Um, <laughs> they were the British Empire, remember? Yeah, I know. I was mostly uh, joking. <laughs> their leader uh, and the prime minister, a guy named H.H. H. Asquith, a very mm. British name. Extremely. Uh, he basically bumbled stuff. He was he was sort of mismanaging the war effort initially. Uh, there was like, oh, we didn't get enough shells produced and stuff like that. He ends up losing like support, basically. His coalition, it doesn't work. And he has to like form like a coalition with some of the conservatives, even though he's a liberal. But then eventually the conservatives are like, we don't like you. You're a liberal. And 
they form their own government with a different liberal guy in charge. Who, wow. This guy's name is David Lloyd George. So in 1916, he takes over as prime minister, leading a coalition of mostly conservatives. Okay. So the, the liberals do liberalism. Yeah. They, they just, try to work with conservatives and get fucked over. A shock. Yeah. You end up with the pro-Asquith <laughs> liberals in opposition and the pro-Lloyd George liberals and the conservatives as government. Labor, what are they doing? They are... Doing actual work. <laughs> yeah. So they're going from kind of being used in the initial liberal government to they actually get more government positions under this new system. Because, I mean, they're they're on the ground doing stuff. You know, they're, yeah, they're yeah. administrating. Uh, this is a big deal. I keep saying that, but it's just because I'm... <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's fair. <laughs> in the next election in 1918, at the end of the war, Lloyd George's liberals and the conservatives form a coalition, basically, and they, they sort of run together. Or they run... Mm, the conservatives run and George's Lloyd George's liberals run, but they're like teamed up. What they do is they personally endorse candidates who they consider to be part of their official coalition. They say they have our stamp of approval. So they, they run a centrist party, basically. Kind of, yeah, but it's technically but two separate parties. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, that's got to be like confusing and bad for turnout. Oh, it's it's bad for the liberals anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh. that's what I meant, for them. Because <laughs> um, the Asquith liberals also run like separately. Uh, but they have the they have the downside of they don't get the seal of approval. They they call them coupons. It's called the coupon election because they, it, the coupon is like they get the stamp of the coalition approves of me, you know. Wow, that's silly. <laughs> I mean, like, OK, <laughs> to 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 pull back the curtain a little. I did. Me- I mentioned I went to go vote. I mm-hmm. voted in a Democratic primary. And in Texas, you are not allowed to have your phone out when you're voting mm-hmm. so i just had to guess on like a lot of things <laughs> like i only knew like three candidates that i was like i know i like these and that was it the rest of them like i don't know maybe because like you're a woman you might be slightly nicer <laughs> yeah. it was really bad please don't email me about my terrible voting process i don't care <laughs> But the guy next to me had his phone out and was like using a voter guide. And I was like, man, I wish I was a white man who could ignore the scary cop in the room and just do whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Yeah. No, it's it's that's just mini voter suppression stuff. You know, it really is like, come on, let me use a goddamn voter guide. Yep. So that was what the liberals were doing in that election. And I think it's a big deal because they kind of like start falling apart there. It's the beginning of the end. Yeah, really muddying the water. Uh, but at the time, they think it's cool because, like, the liberal, like, Lloyd George's liberals and the conservatives together combined get a whole bunch of seats, you know? So they're like, this is neat. This is cool. We, we're winning. I wonder, too, if they thought, like, oh, we kind of did this with the Labor Party. We worked with them and it worked out. Let's try it again. It's like, you can't do that with conservatives, idiots. Yeah. So it's, 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 funny how it turns out going forward yeah uh, labor for their part do very well they get a higher popular vote total than either lloyd george's liberals or the asquith liberals so they they like come in second in the popular vote nice uh the way it works out 
seat-wise. They actually come in fourth seat-wise. You know, because it's kind of like ours, popular vote in <laughs> elections. Yeah. But that's a lot. One big reason they do so well and that this election is so important is because it's the first election in which some women over 30 and all men over 21 are able to vote. Nice. And all those people had been benefiting from all those cool things during the war. Yes. Tons of them. Because uh, especially like the women have certain like, oh, you have to, you know, be either married to someone of this sort or like have, you know, a certain amount of money, whatever. There's still some like uh, strings attached. The men, what they did was remove property requirements. All, you know, all these guys are like working class, basically. This is so late in the game to be doing that. When did (laughs) America get rid of property requirements? Uh, That was in the 1820s. Um, with Andrew Jackson's, we beat them on one thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's part of Jacksonian democracy. That idea of like, oh, now, but it was state by state. Every man. Yeah. So the electorate expands uh, a lot from seven point seven million to twenty one point four million. Wow, that's a lot. So that's a big reason that they get so many more voters. You know. Weird how when you have more people voting, you get socialists in <laughs> power. Well, it's so fucking weird. Strange, yeah. So <laughs> they aren't in power, you know. They, they they still come in a distant... They're, they're trailing because of that big coalition of the conservatives and and half of the liberals. Yeah, <laughs> The confused liberals. Yeah. Liberals is now in quotation marks. Let's be real. Yeah, and it kind of always has been. It really has. But from there, they continue to build their strength. The Labor Party does. And in the 1922 election, they come in second place overall in seats and in votes to the conservatives. So I wonder, are they still facing a lot of opposition from the the left? Left, I guess, of like, guys are bullshit. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> there is by 1922, the Communist Party of Great Britain. Uh, so there, there are like more genuine leftist, like revolutionary parties out there. There's also, I think the socialist party of Great Britain as well. Like there's, you know, there's, there's the left movement there. They just don't have as much mass support. But I mean, it makes sense though. I mean, they saw fucking Russia and they're like, well, let's just do that. What are we fucking around with this for? (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. Labor in the 1922 election become the main opposition party against the conservatives the Liberal Party continued its decline. Both branches of them end up below the Labor Party in results there. And so after that election, Labor uh, is led by Ramsey McDonald, the guy who that left. guy. Yeah. Anti-war guy. Mm-hmm. He comes back. He's like, hey, everybody likes me and they don't <laughs> like the war anymore. Remember me? I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, he's not always cool, like, because he... <laughs> It's it's during this time that he becomes like more anti-communist. Oh come on! Yeah, so like I you know I don't like that. Remember your roots, bro. Yeah, uh, not not a good look. No. But the real deal comes in 1923. They just came in second place. They're happy, but the leader of the conservative party, a guy named Bonner Law, got really ill and resigned for health reasons. And the guy now in charge of their parliamentary majority uh, is a guy named Stanley Baldwin. He can just keep going, like keep running the conservative party with their majority until the next election comes around. 
mm-hmm. but he's like, oh, I'm new. You know, I want to make sure that the people endorse what I'm doing. So I'm going to call an election. Make sure we have a mandate for that. Okay. <laughs> if you're sure. So he calls an election. All right, they have an election in 1923. Uh, and this gives him not a majority, but a hung parliament. Yeah, and hung parliaments for American listeners are not as sexy as they sound. Yeah, right? I want to take me to parliament. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this just means you don't have enough to form a majority. Okay, and gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. What it ends up like, he, he ends up with like 38%, and then the other parties have like 30, 29%. So he's got to form a coalition with somebody. Uh-oh, who does he go to? The conservatives at first. <laughs> well, at first he just tries to like, I'm just going to see if I can run the government with my percentage and see if people vote with me. See what happens. But the liberals quickly tell him, hey, fuck off. Like, yeah, that's give him a work. vote of no confidence. In January 1924 is when that happens. The king. Guys, I forgot we had a king. That's <laughs> right. how deep into this parliamentary shit I've been. <laughs> I'm like, king, what's he doing here? Well, uh, the king is kind of like technically chooses people to be to form governments, to be prime mm, ministers right, and form right. governments. It's just they usually just go along with the election with rules. whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is a weird situation. So the king uh, calls up Ramsey McDonald <gasps> and says, hey, this guy just lost his confidence vote. Can you form a minority government with, you know, with the liberals to support you? The king? The king. Was he high? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think it was just the next guy down the list, you know. Wow. The liberals were in such disarray and everything. and That makes sense, yeah. It's just like, hey, uh, if you can get enough of those liberals to help you, then you should be good. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So on January 22nd, 1924, uh, Ramsey McDonald took office as the first labor prime minister and the first prime minister from a working class background. That's crazy. Yeah. And just like that, they'd gone from <laughs> nada to Prada. <laughs> My favorite reference. <laughs> Listeners, do a Google. You won't be disappointed. Uh, it's got it. Yeah, you got to do it in reverse, though, from Prada to nada. That's, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Excuse but, me. But yeah, that's how, that's the rise of the Labor Party. This initial government doesn't last too long. They are able to <laughs> get some reforms put into place. Uh, but it's the very next year when uh, they end up pissing off the liberals, basically. They pass some reform laws and stuff. They do some housing acts uh, and and in terms of like minimum wage laws and things like they that. I mean, they, far. Do, they do some stuff. Yeah. But quickly they test the liberals patients. And so <laughs> whoops, the liberals uh, don't take much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they called a. Uh, they called a no confidence. They win a no confidence vote. And if it's them doing it, I mean, the conservatives, of course, are going to say no. So they lose the confidence vote. And <laughs> and the liberal leader, Asquith, uh, he's thinking, we just had two elections. There's no way this <laughs> motherfucker is going to call another one. He wouldn't do it. What no What's going to happen is that he's going to quit. And then we're going to team up with the conservatives and do something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramsey McDonald. <laughs> he's like, fuck you guys. If I'm going down, we're doing another goddamn election. That's what he does. And he he's gambling <laughs> mentally. He's saying, if we do an election, 
I've been watching your liberal party, man. Y'all are falling apart. <laughs> Y'all are going to hemorrhage another how many uh, how many seats, and uh, we're going to benefit, or at least you know it's not going to be you benefiting. Maybe the conservatives are in. Hey, but you're going to lose, and you're the party mm-hmm. that we need to take out to become the dominant party here. We need to scooch you out the way so we can compete against the conservatives. So he says, yeah, yeah. let's do an election, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Fuck it. Come at me, bro. And sure enough, that's what happens. The conservatives win a big landslide. Labor comes in second. Liberals fall apart. <laughs> wow. And yeah, that's that's in 1924. Interesting thing about that election is something called the Zinoviev letter. Okay. That sounds familiar. Why do I know that name? He was a guy in reds, wasn't he? Yeah. The guy eating the he was onion the guy and eating the lemon. lemon. Yeah. That was the Novia. <laughs> lemon guy. <laughs> At the time, he was the head of the common turn. Yeah. All right, he was a, a leading Soviet Not uh, just official. a lemon eater. Yeah. And so this was a forgery that was published and, and really like sensationalized by the Daily Mail <laughs> four days before the election. All right, talk about an October surprise. It was supposed to be like a a, a letter from Zinoviev. It was addressed to uh, the Central Committee of the Communist Party of Great Britain. Uh-huh. So it really wasn't even addressed to the Labor Party. Yeah, those aren't the same. But it was like basically red baiting. It was saying, uh, you guys are cool. You guys are doing, you know, <laughs> we're fucking pals. new things. Yeah, we're very interested in like... You know, your best friend, Zenobia of XOXO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we want to export the revolution essentially <laughs> to Great And it Britain. was all fake. Yeah, no, the whole thing was completely made up. Wow. And they publish this in the papers, and then the Labor Party's like scrambling, saying, like, their headlines are like, we're not communists, you know, and just like <laughs> oh bullshit God. like this on their heels. It seems like the effect of that, historically, I, I had always read that like it was the biggest deal. But it seems like the more recent research on that is that it was, you know, kind of a sideshow, but it wasn't like the main thing. The main thing was that as the liberals fell apart, most of their stuff was actually going just to conservatives at the time. So that's why, like, labor got wiped. But either way, that's uh, that kind of draws us to the end of the the first section there. Or that's where I wanted to leave off anyway. I just wanted to get labor up to the plate and and... Later, we'll we'll kind of talk about more in detail as to what they do. But I wanted to stop that there as far as like just the narrative of it and get into just discussion as to what can we pull from this. Okay, one thing I noticed was how into the story I got <laughs> and like how how like dramatic and like kind of temptingly salacious and fun electoral politics can be like yes it's fun to follow the fucking horse race guys like i'm sorry but it can be really fun it really is <laughs> I'm, i've unfortunately got like six different uk general election tabs open here <laughs> you look at the dumb maps that are color different colors mm-hmm. and like, the big oh, smart shit. board with wolf blitzer <laughs> yeah like what is the british wolf blitzer i wonder so even maybe even once we establish the communist utopia, we have to do like class popularity contests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we can we can bring out all the cool maps, and yeah, we can have communist Wolf Blitzer out there. Yeah, it's just celebrity. Everyone gets to vote for the Oscars. Like I don't know. <laughs> we we just find some form of popularity contest to keep us. Like it's just the cutest pet contest. Something stupid. Well, that's another, I guess, thing we I wanted to bring up because, I don't know, uh, for our more revolutionary comrades, 
Yeah, are we going to get shit for this episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I get it. You know, I get it. You could feel free to disagree if you want to, for sure. But to me, there's an understandable kind of underwhelming feeling when talking about doing some social democratic reforms through parliamentary means in 2022. It's not the sexiest idea or at this point. Yeah. The most practical. Yeah. Like as we frequently say, we're on the death march to extinction, <laughs> maybe getting higher wages on the way, you know, that might not end up mattering pleasant, much. But yeah, it's, it won't do that much to stop it. Yeah. But I, I think, I don't know. I think both of us were appropriately impressed for the time. You know what I mean? like that they were for the things that they were for at the time like they were saying okay let's do let's nationalize this let's like those are some big swings yeah yeah like so they, they had important i mean important platforms and uh, things in their platform that weren't 100 percent in line with but they echoed some of the things you see in the manifesto in, in marx's early work and stuff you know and I think, too, as Americans, we're so fucking whipped that if we had a party that said we're for nationalizing literally anything. Yeah. And we're and just admitted that they're for workers and unions and strikes. That'd be a big fucking deal here. Yeah. I mean, the, the DSA will give you a big kiss on the lips if you're for Medicare for all. That's like. Yeah, know. that's we we are abused. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're a beaten little puppy. Yeah. But, but you know, I guess I also want to be ecumenical i want to be welcoming of all stripes of our anti-capitalist left here oh yeah you know we're in doing this episode we're also you know reaching out to our more reformist minded comrades because there's many roads to take you know to left and and we don't know everything maybe the reformist electoral politics could can actually gradually achieve socialism like maybe that's right you know it's possible. I wonder, you know, it, what if this were a good stopgap measure for more local elections or something? You know, like I think there's a lot to learn from their tactics here. But I mean, I'm not, and uh, yeah, like you said, I'm not necessarily saying like this should be our fucking worldwide strategy. Yeah. But if it helps like a fucking school board person get elected, then like, sure, take what you want from this. Yeah. And that's a good point, too, to bring up as a worldwide strategy. Probably not, but within the imperial core countries, it's not so it's not bad of a, <laughs> yeah, because it this like, you know, I've read ideas and I'm not sure how much credence I give to them, but it's, it's somewhat makes sense. The, the basic notion of like third worldism or that sort of thing where like the real revolution, like communist revolution and stuff will is more likely to happen on the periphery, right on the exploited countries first and then it kind of crumbles inward toward the imperial core that kind of makes sense i mean i i, it I does. don't so one's getting fucked yeah I, I don't think that like i can cleanly predict what will happen for sure no idea <laughs> but that kind of like intuitively makes some sense so in the meantime it kind of sounds like uh the left i mean we're gonna be for the working class we should be for like improving their material conditions even in the meantime, right? Like trying to help them. And so this could be a way to do that. I mean, I, I think it goes back to one of our, our classic catchphrases available on a t-shirt of <laughs> De Leon. Do both, you know, like I, I don't think we're necessarily selling this as like, this is the way to be leftist and communist and whatever. Yeah. 
but it's an option. And for some people listening or some people, maybe you know somebody, like this could be a more palatable option to them or just a more achievable option because I, it's a lot. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do yeah. on, you know, building a fucking worldwide communist utopia. So maybe like winning an election sounds easier. <laughs> I like that idea though of like, there's lots of different, I don't know, like doing both or doing more like doing all of the above. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> you and I, we are more like spreading the word. We're, we're just sort of putting this out there. It's like, take from it what you will. If this is something you think you can run with. You think you can make something happen from it. Do it. If we do another episode on, uh, you know, revolutionary vanguard parties and you think that's what you, I mean, do that. Like, y'all need yeah. to be out there doing so much stuff because we're a little lazy. We don't really do as much. <laughs> So all of these things we talk about, take them, try them. Taste differ, man. And then whichever works, whatever we end up going with, we'll be there. I get on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be there. We'll drop whatever we're doing. It clearly yeah. failed. That's fine. We'll jump with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. This episode comes out and then like Friday, the revolution pops off. We're like, fuck electoralism. We're here. <laughs> Delete the last episode. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I do I do want to give reformism like this sort of electoral politics. It's due it's not just exciting like class president stuff, but we <laughs> we talked about, you know, we didn't get into the details of it, but like the NHS, social housing, nationalizing rail, all these sorts all of All the labor laws. Yeah. Like uh, their unionization rate is is like double ours. Are you taking pictures of your cat? Yeah, I'm sorry. He's just holding my arm. It's really cute. I'll show you. Will that make it better? Will I not get a failing grade on this podcast? Look at that. Oh, uh, that is cute. Okay, that's fine. Excused? Yeah, but still no phones. <laughs> no um, phones. Put it away. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't want to downplay their accomplishments and, and, and all that especially past this time frame this is like baby stuff that they're getting done like as we go and they actually take power they do a lot of shit um and it's like tangibly good stuff for people really improving their material conditions i think sort of spreading or popularizing the idea of socialist style reforms like what can you know small s socialism do for you I mean, I'd do unspeakable things for, for a national healthcare system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, I guess that's another thing, too, is our time period. Because, like, and, and maybe our, our cultures, too. Like, you know, Americans looking at this saying, fuck, I wish we had we any, don't have of, any that. of this. <laughs> yeah, versus the British who are, you know, I mean, I think it's in a way more tragic for them because... Like we said, you know, labor is now just a centrist thing and, and the the entirety of the state parties are trying to tear away since since Thatcher trying to tear away and privatize everything and, and it's just like, look how far we've fallen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like and, and NHS is getting just cannibalized, like, yeah, that's you're all y'all are not in a good place right now. We're not trying to say like, Oh, I wish we were England yeah. right now. <laughs> like yeah. That, that no, you no know, one does. Yeah, to to Loved and lost versus never have loved at all. <laughs> it's like we're 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 not losing as much as you at least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, we end up in the <laughs> <laughs> We got sad again. I'm gonna go back to taking pictures of my fucking cat. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> One really useful source I want to call out uh for me uh was an article in Jacobin by Eric Blank. 
uh, called The Birth of the Labor Party Has Many Lessons for Socialists Today. Yeah. I like their tactics. I like their message. I liked how unified they were. Like, and sometimes, yeah, to their detriment, the war thing. Not my fate. Yeah, boo war. But it kind of worked out for them. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been right and we would have been out of power. But <laughs> We'd have been right all by ourselves being antisocial. <laughs> Instead of these social parties. <laughs> It also, that article has a cool picture of Ramsey McDonald and other labor leaders doing like a tug of war, which is neat. <laughs> Why? They're, they're wearing like suit vests because it's like the 19, you know, the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're doing they're a, having a little field day. They're doing like a, a team building exercise. It's at a labor party rally. So I guess so. This is what you did before you had, this is my fight. So, you know, before you had just music <laughs> and stuff, you had to do this to entertain the crowd. That's fantastic. This is before they had like excessive balloons and confetti and like talking to empty chairs and the all hype that video beforehand. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's them. Like I said, we're probably revisiting this topic at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That was juicy. What are we going to do next week? Well, we talked about partying. Now we're going to talk about gaming. All right. Sweet. Specifically, the game called A Quiet Year. This is a tabletop game, um, and you basically create a, a society, and you work together to like face different challenges. And we're gonna try to play it together and try to do it through like a socialist utopian kind of lens, and and see like how we can make decisions together that will like be be good <laughs> and in, in align with our values so right. I, I, we have never done anything like this before on the show you know like a, I, I can't promise exactly how it'll turn out if it'll be more like you know if you listen to role-playing podcasts some people are a little more actual play some people are more like story driven so like i'm not super sure how that's gonna go yet but yeah. we're gonna try it we're gonna have some fun all right yeah hopefully it's fun we'll try to keep the death camps to a minimum <laughs> Or whatever Damn else, it. whatever other horrible. I'm doing a purge day mi- mishaps one. Mishaps <laughs> can happen. Day one purge. <laughs> day two uh, great leap forward. <laughs> nah, we'll just start off with some utopian stuff. It'll be cool, probably. Hopefully, we'll figure it <laughs> we'll out. See, what if we end up splitting? <laughs> this is when the podcast ends. <laughs> you have the Grady party and the Christine party. Choose a side. One side is cooler, and I think we all know which one that is probably your side yeah but i mean i'm also dumb so (laughs) i'm not dumb i just get distracted by my cat that's fair though he's a cute cat he's adorable he's doing a great stretch right now all right so a a quiet year that's next time Mm -hmm. tune in for that all right see you then bye bye Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. 
and we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up and coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't gonna line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.